As we come now to God's Word, I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. As we start our evening services back up after a little break for the holidays, we are starting with a series that will be tied to our morning sermons and to the theme of United in Our Witness that we as a congregation are considering this January. These evening services will be considering some aspect of the Christian life that connects with the morning topic, but with a little bit more of an eye toward the practical outworking in our lives. They will not be comprehensive, at least this one will not be comprehensive, but more of an introductory overview. We will consider topics such as forgiveness and apologetics and evangelism, uh, but today, as Kevin preached this morning on the unity we have through fellowship with one another, we are going to consider the specific topic of that fellowship, which is serving one another. You don't have to have heard his message to follow tonight, but I would encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here this morning, as I think they will complement each other. So, Tonight, as we turn to God's Word, we are going to look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, probably not exactly how I would preach this text on its own, but through the particular lens of better understanding what it looks like to serve one another. Here is God's Word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me that the Lord would bless his word preached? Father, what we have just read is the only infallible thing that we will hear tonight. So, Lord, I pray that you would take this word and that you would imprint it upon our hearts, that you would shape us according to it, that you would mold us by your word, that your spirit who inspired this word would give us understanding. Would you give us hear, ears to hear what you would have to say, and would you equip us to live in light of what you tell us tonight. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Christ. Amen. For those of you who, like me, like organization and structure, here is where we are headed tonight. We are going to consider from these verses the source, the means, and the result of serving one another. And then we will conclude with a few thoughts about how we might live this out as a church body. 
Source, the means, and the result. First, the source. Where does the impetus and power to serve one another come from? Paul is clear in this passage, the source of our service to one another is our relationship with Jesus Christ. This passage begins with so. So it's calling back to what has come before. Paul is saying, I'm going to give you directions, but as you read them, remember that they flow out of what I have just said. And what has come directly before is actually the text from the sermon this morning, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, just encourage you again to go find it if you didn't hear it. But Paul has just encouraged the Philippians to be united for the sake of the gospel, even in the face of opposition and suffering. Having most recently addressed the suffering and conflict that the church is facing and called them to live in such a way as to represent the kingdom of God faithfully, this so feels a bit like a call to arms. You are suffering. You are engaged in this conflict. Gear up. Get ready. Prepare yourself. I have told you to pursue this fellowship among yourselves, this partnership in and for the gospel, and now I am going to give you your marching orders for how to do that. So he begins, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. This is a rhetorical if here rather than a conditional one. He is not saying evaluate your life. If you haven't, if you've received any of these things, then your duty is to pay them forward. If you haven't, Free to go on your way, ignore the rest of what I'm saying. He is saying, of course you have received these things. These things are true of you. Consider the riches that are yours in your salvation. Observe that this means he is speaking specifically to Christians. We could talk about serving in a lot of ways, serving your country, serving your neighbors, serving the poor, All of them are good things. All of them are things that the Bible says something about. But tonight, we are specifically addressing Christians serving each other, especially within the local church. That is who Paul is writing to, and that is what he is writing about. Along with that, we need to recognize that he is speaking to all Christians There is not a category of Christians who has not received from Christ. So what he has to say moving forward is not optional for the follower of Jesus, but part of the normal Christian life in response to saving grace. So Christian, think about what you have through your salvation. You who were dead have been made alive. There is no condemnation for you. You have been forgiven, and you have been set free from sin and death. You have been adopted as a child of God. You have received a new heart and a renewed mind. The very Spirit of God dwells in you. The God of the universe is for you and not against you. You live in the hope of eternal life in the presence of God. He has promised to be with you always, to strengthen and guide you, to sustain and persevere, per- preserve you, to never let you go, and a thousand other promises that are all certain to come to pass. 
Is there any encouragement to be found in that? Any comfort? What affection and delight is present in those realities? What incredible partnership and fellowship we have with the Spirit of God. And it is not only that we have received these things personally and individually, we corporately have these things. And Paul wants us to see that we share them in common. We are a community of Christians who have been adopted as children and made brothers and sisters. We all have the same Spirit of God living within us. We each were once dead and are now alive. We were slaves to sin and have now been set free. We have received the same love. We have the same hope, the same faith, the same love. We will spend eternity together praising God. What fellowship that means that we share. Having all been united to Christ, Paul wants us to know that we are intricately and intimately connected. We share both head and heart, both truth and affection. What sympathy that gives us for one another. We are members of the same body who rejoice when one part rejoices and mourn when one part mourns. This is what is true of us individually and what is true of us as a community through our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. This does not minimize our differences. It does not mean that we are all uniform in thought. To have the same mind does not mean that we have the same opinions about everything or the same convictions, but it means that what we share in common is so great that it does and can supersede even the most significant differences between those who are in Christ. So it is this encouragement, this comfort, this love and fellowship that we have received from Christ and that overflows into serving one another with whom we share in Christ. He who loved and served us has given us his spirit and his mind to enable us to love and serve our fellow believers. So, how do we live this out? How do we cultivate such fellowship? We do so the same way that Jesus lived out and cultivated fellowship with us. We do so by being like-minded with him. Which brings us to our second consideration. The source of our service is Christ. The means of our service to one another is costly sacrifice. We start to get a glimpse of this in verses 3 and 4, but then it is more fully fleshed out in 6 through 8. We as Christians are called to consider one another above ourselves, to put each other's well-being and interests ahead of our own. And we need to be clear and honest about this. That is hard. Selfish ambition and vain conceit come much more naturally to us than this type of humility which Paul is calling followers of Jesus Christ to, which is why it is so important that Paul started where he did, that Jesus Christ is the source. We could never do this on our own. We wouldn't want to, and even if we wanted to, we would fail if we tried it is only possible 
because of what we have received through faith, the encouragement, the love, the comfort, the affections, the mind and spirit that are at work within us through our union with Jesus Christ. Our union with Him calls us to unity with one another and to costly sacrifice for one another, and it also empowers us to live out that way of life. So if we are to live as Jesus did, consider what it meant for Jesus to live in service to us. To start with, he laid aside the rights and privileges that were his by nature of his divinity. Rather than cling to the honor and comfort and glory and praise that was his as God, rather than demanding what belonged to him, he let it go. Not only did he let go of his divine prerogative and consider equality with God something not to grasp for, but he took on the form. Here, we're going to see form a few times. This is the same word that we saw before, the form of God and the form of a servant. That is the very nature of a servant. He took on the nature of a servant. He who by all rights should be served by the entire creation condescended to serve that which he had made. And he did this by being born. Just celebrated Christmas a few weeks ago. Being born as a man. And if you look at the text here, we have again this word form being found in human form. Here's a different word, meaning physical shape. He took on flesh. He took on the shape of a human. Think about what that means. That he became a servant even to the extent of being found with the frail, vulnerable shape of flesh and humanity. A stomach that could hunger and thirst. A body that would wear down and need rest. Eyes that could weep. Veins that could bleed. Nerves that could feel the pain of nails being driven into his hands and feet. He didn't just make himself vulnerable to these things. He actually experienced them all. Culminating by his ultimate act of humiliation, he whom alone in all humanity death had no claim on humbled himself by submitting in obedience even to the point of death. And not even simply death, but a cruel and shameful death on the cross. He who had every right to demand all privilege hung on a tree accursed. For us, brothers and sisters, that is what we as Christians have received from Him, His love substituting in our place. And this is what He calls us to when he calls us to follow him. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his famous book, Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And there are a multitude of ways that the Christian is called to die and to suffer. One of those is mentioned in this morning's sermon in chapter 1, suffering for the sake of Christ. And now just a few verses later, Paul points to another place where the Christian is called to die and to suffer for the body of Christ, for the church, 
for each other. To serve one another will require laying down our life to consider others better than ourselves. It will be costly to imitate Christ and to lay down our rights or privileges or comforts to serve others. It requires being vulnerable and humble. Serving one another day in and day out will not be convenient and it will not be efficient. It means giving of your time and money and energy in ways that you could have spent on yourself. It will mean holding loosely your reputation and freedoms and safety. It will mean laying down your life in service of Christ by serving one another. So why would we do that? Is this just part of the burden of duty of what it means to be a Christian? He has given us so much. We owe him so much that we are obligated, sentenced to begrudgingly do what no one in their right mind would choose to do. We have considered the source and the means of our serving one another, but what about the result? As we look especially at verses 9 through 11, we see the result of our service to one another is glorious reward. Why did Jesus go through all that he went through? Hebrews 12 tells us it was for the joy that was set before him. Why would we willingly, gladly share in the sufferings and death of Christ on behalf of other people? For the same reason. So that, as Paul says later in this book, we might by any means possible share also in his resurrection. We share in his humiliation, united to him, knowing that we will also share in his exaltation. We do so for the joy that is set before us. Look again at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, Again, calling back to what he's just written, it was because of his giving up of his glory and life. Therefore, God has exalted him. Jesus is in his rightful place as the glorified Savior, and he is confessed as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that isn't what our reward will be. We will not be given a name that is above every name, and no one will bow to us or call us Lord, thankfully, but we will be raised with him to new life, and we will be participants in the glorious, eternal chorus of praise with him. And when we bow our knee and confess with our tongue, it will be with joyful adoration and not horrific terror. And the reward of service is not only eternal life in his presence with rejoicing, as if that isn't enough, there are temporal benefits to this type of service as well. There is a joy found in serving. You and I were not created to live for ourselves. Selfish ambition and considering only our own interests will never satisfy. It is not what you and I are designed for. Serving others for the glory of God will satisfy. It is a joyful endeavor. Paul calls the Philippian church to such a life because it will complete his joy 
to see them know the joy of living in this kind of fellowship and service to one another. He wants them to know what he has known in laying down his life for others. He wants them to share in his joy and complete his joy by rejoicing with him. This type of sacrificial serving of one another also has the outcome of strengthening the community in which it is found. Serving alongside each other, serving one another, is not only evidence that true Christian fellowship exists, but it is part of how true Christian fellowship is promoted and pursued within a community. Both serving with each other and serving each other strengthen gospel community and fosters a witness to the watching world. This is a kind of fellowship totally other than what our world knows and is part of how we show the world around us what the love of Christ looks like and the incredible power of the gospel. We benefit by living in such a community. This is a, the kind of community that people want to live in, where there is support, there is encouragement, there is people watching out for each other. Not only do we benefit, but the gospel goes forth from such a community. So even though serving one another comes at a cost, there is the promise that it is worth it. This glorious reward is what David Livingston, pioneer missionary to Africa, experienced in his life. And he wrote in 1857, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause us to waver, and the soul to sink. But let this be only for a moment. All these are nothing compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. He's just echoing what Paul writes in another one of his letters, that he doesn't consider his light and momentary present afflictions worth comparing the glory the eternal weight of glory which they are achieving. The same is true of serving our fellow Christians. It is comparatively no sacrifice to be used by God to come alongside a brother or sister and to be of service to them, helping to strengthen and sustain their faith and hope even as God helps others to do so for you when you are weak and wavering. Is this not rather, like Livingstone said, a privilege? Is there any cost too high to walk into glory and to praise God together forever. So while it is costly to serve one another, it is not too high of a cost for the sake of our brothers and sisters. As you can see, our service to one another begins and ends with God. It is like a spring in the mountains that forms a stream that finds its way down through sticks and rocks and other obstacles, but eventually empties into the vast ocean of the glory of God. The source of our service to one another is Jesus Christ, and the result is the glorious reward of praise to God. And the means in the middle 
is costly sacrifice. I want to take a few minutes now as we begin to conclude to think about some practical steps that we might take to continue to grow as a church in this area of serving one another, living out what we see here in Philippians chapter 2. As we do so, I want to point back to the beginning of our text. Do you see how often the word mind is repeated? Being of the same mind, of one mind, having this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. It shows up in the verses that we heard from this morning as well. As we think about how we might serve one another, it is more than simply actions we are to perform that we are called to. It is a mindset, a way of thinking and seeing the world like Jesus thought and saw the world, which we are to cultivate in ourselves and in our community. We ought to be praying and training ourselves toward a mind that sees opportunities to serve and is ready to act on them. So as we try to do so, here are four ideas for ways that we can grow in having a mind that looks for and sees ways to serve your fellow brothers and sisters. The first is simply how Paul starts this passage, meditate on what is yours in Christ, on the encouragement you have in Christ, the comfort from His love, participation with His Spirit, the affection and sympathy. Think about these things and think about the fact that you share these things with all who profess the name of Christ and follow after Him. Second way that you can practice and grow in serving is simply to start doing it. Uh, There's lots of ways that you can do that, but maybe the easiest is to volunteer here at church. There are many ways that you can serve your brothers and sisters within this body, helping Sunday mornings to be able to happen, Sunday evenings, other things that go on throughout the week. There are a lot of ways that service is needed, a lot of ministries of the church. I happen to know right now that we are looking for more people to help us live stream so that people can watch from home. So if you are interested in that, talk to John or I afterwards. Shameless plug right there. Lord willing, we will begin at some point to mobilize and gather together in a more normal sense. We will be restarting children's activities and hospitality ministries, and we will need people to serve their fellow believers by volunteering there. Also encourage you, another way that you can serve in the church, if you are not already uh, on that, is to sign up for the prayer chain. If you want to pray for your brothers and sisters, you can sign up on the website uh, to receive prayer emails and commit to praying for your brothers and sisters. You can serve God's people by volunteering within the ministries of the local church. A third idea for how we can do this is by serving together. I mentioned that communities are strengthened by serving together and uh, serving one another, and I think the same is true on a smaller scale. Families, what would it look like to do some sort of service together? 
growth groups, friends, married couples? What would it look like? Dating couples, what would it look like to serve together? One of my favorite characters in history is George Mueller, and he uh, preached a sermon at the funeral of his wife. And if you've never read it, I think you should, and you might want to have a box of Kleenex nearby. But he's talking about uh, why their marriage was such a delight. And one of the things that he points to is that they always had a common purpose towards which they were serving together. They, they served for years and years in orphan homes and opened homes and, and had orphans that they were constantly praying for and providing for. And, and he attributes the sweetness of their relationship in some part to the common service that they had. Encourage people to consider finding a younger believer and serve with them. Bring somebody along with you in what you are doing or in a way that you are serving to help teach and instruct others or just to get to know each other as you serve together. My fourth idea is to remember how you have been served. Think back to ways that people have served you. Rachel and I did this this week. We had a little bit of a long week. We ended up in the hospital with our son Peter from Monday night until Friday afternoon. And many of the ways that we have felt weakest and where people have stepped in and served us have often included Peter. And so we were sitting in the hospital and we were thinking and recounting different ways that the Lord has used people to serve us. When Peter was first born, we lived in Illinois on the campus of Wheaton College, and there was a female student that we worked with who said, look, I have two mornings a week that I don't have anything. I'd like, I'm going to just come over one morning a week uh, for the semester, and I will do laundry. I'll play with your kids. I'll help you clean. Whatever you need, I'm just going to come over and help. That was very, very helpful. Uh, we have seen people pray for us. We sent a request on the prayer chain this week that many of you saw time and time again, uh, starting when Peter was very first born and in the hospital, and he just couldn't get eating, and they wouldn't send him home until he would learn how to eat. And so finally, after days and days of trying to figure this out, we sent out a prayer chain email and said, would you pray that he would learn to eat? And the next day, he came home. And that has been his testimony time and time again, including just this past week. How often do we see a request and assume others will pray? How often do we see a need and assume others will meet it? Uh, just last week, I received an email from a student that I had worked with five or six years ago, and it just said, hey, Kevin, I was thinking of you this week. I think it's because right around Christmas, we tend to hear this passage from Isaiah a lot, and when you and I were meeting, we memorized it together. Uh, so I, I just have been thinking about you, and I wanted you to know that I really appreciated the time that we spent together. How often do I think about other people but fail to just send a quick note to encourage and tell them? So these are some of the ways that, that we were encouraged this week just to remember 
uh, the faithfulness of the Lord in using the body of Christ to serve us, and they were helpful at helping us think through how might we be looking to do that in the lives of others. Recounting the ways that God has used others to serve you both gives you ideas for how you could bless others and gives you an opportunity to praise God again for His faithfulness to you through His people. There are countless ways that we could live out serving one another. We can serve in spiritual or physical or relational or material ways. It will look different in each life and different in different seasons of life, and all of that is okay. There may be some people who do a lot that gets seen and some who do a lot behind the scenes, some who serve the community at large and some who serve many individuals. Some of us have more financial resources or time resources or energy resources. You may serve those close to you in your family. Sometimes that can be the hardest place to sacrificially love people in your neighborhood, in your growth group, or those with whom the world sees no possible connection or reason why you should reach out to them. Often we will serve people that are easy for us to love. Sometimes we will be called to serve those that are hard for us to love. Some will labor among us in persistent prayer and others through notes or meals. Sometimes people will know you are serving them and in some instances they may have no idea. I do not think there is a limit to the ways this could manifest itself in your life and in our church. But the one thing you cannot do is not serve. It is not optional for the Christian. So I would ask you, as we conclude, to pray tonight if you have time with your family or spouse or roommate or on your own. If not tonight, then over the course of this week, ask God to help you see opportunities to serve and where He is calling you to do so. And then do it expectantly, joyfully. My hope would be that over the course of the rest of this month of faith focus, our minds would be shaped more and more like that of Christ Jesus and that habits would be formed of praying and looking for chances to serve and then serving one another, even when it is costly. One final note, as we have been talking about serving one another, the flip side of that is be willing to be served. There are not two classes of people, the servers and the served. We are all both. One may be harder for some or harder for others, but in humility, serve others. And in humility, let others serve you. Serving one another is not easy, but it is not on your own, and it is not in vain. This is who we are and what we have been called to. So let us, in the strength that He provides, serve one another for the joy set before us and for the glory of our God. Do you please pray with me? Father, as we have already prayed through song, may the mind of Christ our Savior live in us from day to day by His love and power controlling all I do and say. Lord, would you help us as a community to be like-minded with you? Would you help us to see ourselves rightly in light of who you are? 
to have the humility that comes with having received grace from you and to give that humility to others. Would you help us to love one another well, to serve one another well for the praise of your name and for the expansion of the praise of your name to those who do not yet know you. We ask all these things in the mighty, glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.